Hi, this is Greg from the Packet Pushers, and today we're at the IETF 99 conference once again. And uh, thanks to Huawei for providing us with the financial support to attend the conference and um, providing us with the capability to be here so that we can talk to a wide range of different people. Now, what I did was when I came to the IETF, I just got onto the list and asked people to come and tell me what they're about and if they wanted to share some information with the Packet Pushers audience. So some of these shows are quite, well, eclectic would be the best way to describe it. Today I'm talking with Kurt Anderson. He works in the DMARC group. So tell me, what is DMARC? Let's kick off with a very quick discussion of DMARC. Well, DMARC is an email authentication and reporting protocol that was built upon some older protocols, DKIM, SPF, in order to help senders get their mail to the people that they're trying to get them to and then find out why mail that isn't getting through may not be succeeding. So... We're validating sources and destinations. Are we validating email servers by using... So DKIM is about using the DNS records to say, I have a crypto certificate and associate that with my email. DKIM is a crypto signature that says that this message, which I have sent from domain example.com, actually came from example.com, or at least someone who controls that key. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's related to the DNS function. So you register your DKIM record, your public you, key. You look in up your your DNS keys, the keys in the DNS, yes. Right. And then SPF is... Um, SPF validates the sending IP addresses. So making sure that the server that uh, sent the message out from example.com is actually registered by example.com as some place that they send mail from. Right. And now that's not enough and, and we need to go further or is that... Is well, DMARC kind of reducing the workload? Because I know that uh, a lot of people who run email servers, particularly Outlook email servers, for example, don't ever implement DKIM or SPF because they may not know it exists or because they find some part of that onerous. That, that's part of the problem. Part of the other problem is that a lot of companies also outsource portions of their mail streams. So they may use uh, an email service provider of some sort and... It's difficult to get all these pieces lined up and the dominoes in the right direction so that you can make things work the way they're supposed to. DMARC helps in terms of adding a reporting component that will tell you mail that is received by participating receivers that may not have passed your DKIM or SPF. Right. Right. So DMARC advances it operationally, like tries to remove the operational burden around that and automate... I don't know, the DNS or is well, it... Well, it doesn't know. It, it gives you the insight that you may not have had. DKIM didn't have any policy component at all. You would simply DKIM sign your mail and there was no way to assert to receivers that you're actually doing that. It was just sort of happenstance that mm. they would get the mail and they'd see that it was signed and then they could check it and say, oh, yes, this passes or not. But mm. there was no way for you as a domain owner to say... I sign all of my mail, and here's what you ought to do with mail that isn't signed but claims to come from me. So mm. phishing and business email compromise is a big business So it's a step down this path of preventing spam yeah. or by validating the source. Yes, at least preventing forgery and, and reducing phishing. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I suspect that email will always be open and that any source can send to anybody. So very, spam will always very be... Very likely, yeah. Be, if if we got to a point where tools like DKIM and SPF and DMARC were stand like the convention, you would have a much higher rate of recognizing spam because anything that was sent un- unencrypted or un- unsigned, unsigned mm. would probably be spam. 
Yes, true. Because if it was signed, it could be shut off. Your email server could our, say, our goal reject is to, any email with this certificate. Yeah, exactly. We want the bad guys to identify themselves. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and, yeah. And then we can shoot them more easily, yes. Well, well, that's part of it. I mean, I think that the success of that was proved in things like the Apple App Store, where mm-hmm. people submit, you know, malicious yep. apps and they can revoke the app because the certificate on the app can be revoked. Yes. And therefore, any damage that is caused by these malicious apps is very quickly limited. It's not that you can prevent malicious apps because Correct. there's, you know, so many apps being submitted every day and there's always a way to slip something through. Yeah. But as soon as Apple can recognise it as the central certificate authority, they can revoke an operator's certificate and all of their apps are gone from the app store. Correct. Just literally instantaneously. Right. And, and they've got CRL working too, assuming. Well, and usually in the case of email, though, you don't necessarily want to go and yank mail out of people's inboxes. So you can prevent further mail from the bad guys, but you wouldn't necessarily want to go back and revoke mail. Um, that, that can be a touchy subject. Uh, I don't know. I think it'd be a good one. If the certificate's revoked, it's revoked. I mean, yeah, that would make, part, part of the challenge, though, is that when you do things like rotate your keys in DKIM, which best practices indicate you should do regularly and the more regularly you do it the more benefit there is in terms of making it easy operationally Um, when you rotate the keys that means that mail that was sent with an old key can no longer be validated so Mm. there's there's a time window for validating the mail that may not that is not indefinite right so that's part of the challenge Essentially, you can validate the mail while it's in transit is the yeah. idea, but you may not be able to go back a week or a month later and, and revalidate it. So, yeah, you know, I, I can see that. But ultimately, I do think that's where we need to be, perhaps. Pot- potentially. So one of the big problems, though, that we encountered with DMARC when some of the big participants, uh, like, well, the ones that made the most waves were AOL and Yahoo. Mm. When they moved to a reject policy saying that anybody who receives mail from Yahoo that doesn't meet the criteria, should that mail should be rejected. Mm. Um, that caused a lot of problems because people were in the habit of sending mail from everywhere yep. and claiming that it came from their Yahoo account um, or their AOL account. And now all of a sudden that mail was being rejected. Yep. So that caused a lot of complaints. And part of the problem is that forwarding mail is a common use case. So think of a mailing list, especially here since we're here at the IETF. (laughs) uh, We all live on mailing lists at the IETF. Mailing lists forward mail in a sense. And they also change the content of that mail because they may modify the subject. They may attach footers to it. Yep. All of these things break the DKIM signature because the DKIM signature is for the original mail. You modify that mail and the crypto is no longer going to validate. That's been a significant problem with adopting rigorous DKIM or or DMARC policies. Yeah. So you can still validate that the descending domain was legitimate, but if you forward mm, the mail, then... Then you can no longer validate it. You can't validate the original email. You can only validate the person forwarding the email. And most forwarders, most mail servers don't sign the mail themselves. So we're working... It's the client that signs the mail? Sorry? Is it the email client then that signs the mail? No, it's typically the... It would be signed by the originator. Yep. Um, But then it goes through a forwarder. If the forwarder um, or the mediator in, in mail parlance was to sign it and take some responsibility for having handled that mail, yeah. then it would be a bit easier. Mm-hmm. But most of them don't. 
So we're developing a new protocol called ARC for Authenticated Receive Chain, mm-hmm. which in a sense will allow people to track a chain of custody for a message. Yes. And then when the ultimate receiver gets that mail, they can look at that chain and they can say, yes, this came through a series of trusted mediators along the way. Mm. And so we will accept this and we'll hand it to the user that wanted it. And that's not blockchain. So that's a certificate chain. It's blockchain a certificate. is just impractical yeah. for this because yeah, there's yeah, so it's many a whole different emails. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you and could, it wouldn't scale performance-wise. Yeah, no, you couldn't create a, a viable blockchain. No, there's too many transactions in email for it to a blockchain to ever work. Yes, we're talking about a certificate chain. So I take the original certificate, then attach my certificate to yes. it, and then send it on. That's the idea. And then because the computation's done at the edge, it scales. Yep. So you know, whenever exactly. the whenever the email client forwards it on it, it attaches its own certificate. And typically we see, well, first off, it's a relatively small fraction of mail that goes through any mediators. Mm. Um, somewhere between 3 and 5%, depending on whose numbers you believe. Yes. Um, 3 to 5% of mail is still significant. Um, if you look at the billions of pieces of email that go around the world every day. Mm. But if it goes through one... Many of those go through two. So think about people who might have an alumni account and then it forwards to a group or a group that goes to an alumni account and then forwards to an ultimate destination. Um, those would be two mediators as an example. Hmm. And uh, so we've designed the ARC protocol really, to go through I mean, as many that, chains as we, they need to. Yeah, I guess I've never used those forwarding functions. I think they're pretty stupid, right? This idea of keeping a hold of every email address you've had in your life. It's is, pretty common. It's pretty arrogant, right? Because you're burning up resources from some place um, mm. to keep... And, you know, when email was plain text, it didn't cost those, those organizations much. But if yeah. you're starting to invoke crypto functions, I think you're going to get into an interesting situation where um, uh, those organizations will have to drop it because they can't afford to spend time sending that on. Fortunately, with modern processors, the cost of crypto is... Uh, Increasing more slowly than the speed at which it can be computed. Yes. So, no, I'm aware of that. You know, we're uh, seeing advances in cryptography math and then also yeah. the coprocessors in the CPUs and even in some of the later generations of Intel CPUs, they're actually including straight-up crypto right. coprocessors. That well, can, when, when DKIM you know. was initially developed oh, 10-ish years ago, yeah. there was a lot of concern about how expensive it was going to be in terms of processing time and effort yeah. to handle it. And that was with 512-bit keys, Yes. RSA. Now people are regularly using 2K um, and 4K keys and don't care, don't, nobody frankly, notices. the processing I'm is... I'm just sitting there thinking about this forwarding use case and I just, I can't actually see why you would bother. I think it's, you know, one of the challenges... Well, but, that, the, but think, the think about a mailing list, for example. Just, yeah. I mean, that, that is a type of forwarding yes. where you send to 99 attendees, for yes. example... And then that mailing list expands that and sends it out to all of the thousand people who've registered for this conference. Yes. But this is the only conference where I've ever been that does that. <laughs> the IETF lives <laughs> on mailing lists, as I mentioned before. That doesn't mean it has to continue living on mailing lists. Um, how, well, let's, let's not get into let's the not mechanics get into that. of I'm how just, the IETF but works. My point, my point would be is that sometimes I get frustrated with people who try to maintain 100% backward compatibility even yeah. when that is obviously stupid. And in this case, this idea of, you know, 
having an email account that you had when you were 18 at college and then keeping it for the rest of your life is patently stupid. Well, but there is a nice feature of being able to say greg at example.com and being able to give that out to people and expect that it will continue to work no matter which company or domain you may move to over time. Yeah, but see, I would disagree. You either talk to it directly with your email client or you don't. And I've never used forwarding functions. So, you know, if, if I have a, a Yahoo email account or a, mm, you yeah. know, a Hotmail account, yeah. I believe I have some. Uh, but uh, if I'm using them, then they're in my email client, which will talk to them directly. And if I don't, right. I don't use them. And the idea of forwarding email from them just seems completely foreign to me. Um, well, I've got no idea there, what there sort are... of mental defect you would have to try and hold on to every email address in your life. <laughs> I'm not sure that people are hanging on to every email address in their life. Yeah. Uh, but I do see the value of being able to provide a stable email account. Mm. Now, whether that should continue to work over 5, 10, 20, 40 years, mm. I suppose that is something that is something you're gonna, people are going to have to figure out yeah. as as the internet grows older and it just people seems are like older cruft. with them. You know. There is a lot of crap. And that is just, <clears throat> there is undoubtedly a lot of crap. And you're just building up a substantial amount of technical debt. I have no problems with building technical debt as provided there's some sort of return mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or gain. This doesn't seem to be, you know... Weaning people off of long-held habits can be a challenge. Weaning people who have who make the standards who have long-held habits is very difficult. That is even more difficult. That is even more difficult. I would posit that the people <laughs> who are involved in this may be lining their own... Um, nest of debt. But anyway. They're definitely concerned about their own usage models, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a common mistake that we see in standards bodies. Is, uh, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of concern for backward compatibility. Um, yes. Sometimes well-placed and sometimes mm-hmm. overly pedantic. Yeah, I'm so glad we still use stone hammers in, in 2017. We uh-huh. should have... We should have kept backward compatibility with stones, I think. Don't you? Uh, that might be going a little too far. <laughs> I made my point. <laughs> S- silicon <laughs> is good enough, right? So, D-Mark, um, where's, what's, the, what's the progress of that working group? Are we close to getting RFCs? Are we close to final call? We are close on the ARC protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an RFC that explored the interoperability problems that DMARC mm. introduced, and so now we're tackling how do we address those, and ARC yep. is our uh, work to do that. We've had seven interop events. We mm. have about six different independent code bases that are all functioning, and most of them will talk to each other and, and validate each other's data. Yeah. Uh, which is a good thing. Yeah, that's and not a bad thing. And we're yeah. addressing the bugs that are causing the few uh, that don't play nice to to be able to interrupt. Mm. And um, so I think that we are getting close, and then we'll have to see deployment-wise getting that out there and seeing if it really does address the problems that DMARC brought now, in. Now, I guess the key stakeholders are engaged here, people like Google and Microsoft. Indeed. Um, because especially in, uh, it strikes me that Email is one of these 80-20-20-80 functions mm. where if, one, if a couple of key organizations pick up on a standard, 80% of the volume is covered by just a couple of organizations. Gmail, of course, Yahoo, yep. so forth. Yep. But 80% of the domains might not ever take this up. That is correct, especially so, small enterprise or small, mm. small corporate domains or personal domains may likely never 
mm. adopters, yeah. Yeah, or m- may may never even have the the technical acumen to comprehend Correct. the requirement. Correct, but if they're hosted on something like Gmail, yeah. um, which many domains, many, many, many domains are hosted on yeah. Gmail or QQ or one-on-one uh, to look at some of the major hosters around the world, they'll get it for free, Yes, in a sense, yeah, because right. their hoster supports the technology. Yeah, and that this this is back to the 80 20 20 80. Yeah. 80% of mail volume may well be in, you know support DMARC very quickly. Exactly. But only 20% of the companies that run mail servers have actually implemented it. Right. Is kind of that that's We we do end up with a pain point of a lot of enterprises that may not host mail on mm. one of these sites that also don't invest in staying current with email <laughs> standards. Um and oh, I, I work with. It's a, only been I only bought this fifteen years ago, and it's still still good. Still that's works. Right. Why I, would I, I replace still run, it? It's still yeah, Exchange Four, or Exchange yeah. Three, or something. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of those, unfortunately, out yeah. there, and it is a continuing pain point. I work with a, a um, industry working group, mm. and we're trying to figure out how we can effectively reach out to those kinds of enterprises that are in that painful yeah. middle. This is the, the problem. There isn't the enterprise; it's the resellers. The resellers have no motivation to fix those enterprises, so it's, a, yeah. it's 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 not so much the enterprises themselves. They probably don't have the skill or the talent. And that's, but they've also made the choice not to invest there, right? It's probably because the reseller hasn't advised them that this is something they need to do. That's fair. They rarely have the necessary skills or capabilities to know that this is something they should be evaluating. Yeah. And the reseller has no financial incentive because the only time the reseller engages is when there's revenue to be made. Correct. And uh, these types of functions don't... Don't bring revenue. No, they don't generate any substantial change except to reduce maybe the volumes of spam and nobody wins from reducing spam. There's no, again, no no business... Well, to, nobody makes money by reducing spam, but yeah. everybody does win by reducing oh, spam. Oh, no, I, uh, yes, that, the, the obvious did not need to be stated, but I take your point. <laughs> sorts of things. All right, so when do you think we, you know, if I was listening to this and I'm a network administrator running firewalls and you know, probably mm. rubbing up against a, an email administrator. When should my email administrator be bit beaten over the head with this and to start thinking about implementing it? Well, I would say they should start thinking about it now, frankly, yeah. um, as far as when they actually need to have this playing and functioning, I would say, I'd hope within the next couple of years, yep. uh, looking reasonably at adoption rates, um, it's probably two to three years before we can really evaluate the impact of having this uh, in place, even though it'll be deployed at the very large um, hosting and receivers uh, soon. Mm. I think one of the forcing functions that will happen is that we'll see more receivers going to, uh, if your mail is not authenticated, we're not going to accept it. Yep. And that will drive adoption on the sending side. Yeah, I think that's the only way. Ultimately, you're going to have to break backward compatibility. Yeah. And... My point goes back to what I was saying earlier. At the point, you're just going to have to sit there and say things have to change and sometimes change breaks things and suck it up. That's right. Yeah. And and I think that will happen within the next years that we'll see some mm. of the large players yes. um, say make those kinds of statements and start enforcing them. And yeah. then the the senders who care about reaching mailboxes on those platforms this will comes have back to, to what I was, Yeah, I'm, I have a sort of a pet theory that it's consumer tech that drives a, a lot of modern enterprise IT now. Oh, yeah. And the thing that I've probably learned from app stores, Google's or Apple's, but Apple's in particular, is that ability to rescind certificates mm. yeah. means that you can clean out 
once you identify something as malicious for whatever purpose, you can clean them out from the entire system, ecosystem very quickly. Mm-hmm. You can't prevent it from coming, but you can limit the, the damage or the blast radius, as I call it. Yeah. So that would probably be quite welcome. Yeah, it, it definitely will be a good step forward. So where can people find out more about DMARC if they want to get involved today? There is DMARC.org and there's the DMARC Working Group and IETF. Mm. Probably the IETF one is a little academic. Um, DMARC.org tends to have more consumer-focused... So start um, at DMARC.org and then if you want to keep digging deeper, then get into the working groups. Yeah, join the working group on IETF, definitely. Thanks for joining us today, Kurt. Thank you. Where can people find you on the internet? They can reach me at uh, LinkedIn, uh, which is where I work. And so uh, I invite people to connect with me there and... I'd be happy to answer any questions that people might have. And thanks to you for listening to this show from the Packet Pushers. If you'd like to find out more about our podcast, head on over to packetpushers.net where we have a wide range of podcasts and availability. Thanks again to Huawei for providing us with the financial support to attend the ITF and get these conversations going. Uh, Don't be afraid to go and join our new membership system. We've just started a membership system where we can start sending out content to you. Uh, You have to opt in. It's a free membership for the time being. Uh, where you can get access to our link propagation newsletter, which is where we collect uh, a series of links as we do our research and news gathering during the week. And then we collate them together into a free newsletter that's sent out to you every week. And then every two weeks, we send out our human infrastructure magazine, which is where we talk about what it's like to be a piece of meat in an IT infrastructure. If you want to email us and contact us otherwise, email packetpushers at gmail.com. And as always, remember that too much technology would never be enough.